Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Oh, Quinlan Posner. Um, do you want to know why I was late? Yeah, I'm dying to know. I know, because I'm a bad kid. I, um, I'm late because I'm making a buttermilk pie. Oh, that sounds amazing. Listen, a while ago, I, I already fucked it up because when I poured in the like buttermilk custardy situation, it already spilled over. So it's all's lost or it's going to taste good and look like shit i think it's gonna taste good i think well i don't know i've never had a buttermilk pie i trusted my southern friends to tell me what to make so that's what i did i think it's like a tangier custard it's like have you had chest pie oh yes i love that do you know how it got named that no how that a man went into the saying goes the age-old saying goes that a man went into a diner and he ordered a slice of pie and he was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. What is this? <laughs> and the waitress said, it's just pie. By the way, I have to say, Matt spilled the beans a little bit. Oh, he told you that we're having a boy. He told me that the psychic was correct. Yes, which the psychic That's said insane. it would be a boy, and it is a boy. It's So we're having two boys. Can you handle it? Do you already have a name? Um, I'm leaning towards Griffin. Wait a minute. I love that you're just out and about telling it. Like, you have no secrets. I love it. Not, it's so wonderful. Yeah. My secrets are so dark and deep. The secrets are even secrets from you. Um, Totally. I can't wait to discover them one day. Um, I'm such a mystery. So Griffin, I, I like. Griffin. Matt likes Jasper. I don't have a problem with Jasper. However, one of his best friends is named Jasper. And I, uh, you know, give the kid his own name. I mean, I like the name Griffin. If I'm going to pick between the two, I think I'm probably leaning more towards Griffin. So should I, I just be like, means nothing. should I say Carrie's going to name him? Because <laughs> you're. Yeah, I think. But then what I if think, you double we... cross me and you name him like Gil? <laughs> Is that the worst I don't know. I, just, I don't care. <laughs> Is randomly thinking of that you're like Gil. every no, listener I mean, that's I named think... Gil just stop listening here's what I think this is this is gonna sound so weird I feel like maybe Griffin feels like I don't know I mean Gryffindor like I'm into it I'm into like a little bit and Jasper I think Jasper's cool I think you'll probably call them Jas right like Right? Like, hey, Jeff. Yeah. I mean, would you, I mean, you got to think of like, or Griff is a good name. Like, I think you got to figure out what nicknames you would use. Well, the reason I like Griffin is I like Griff and I like Finn. So I'm like, we're set. We're, we're set. You're good. I mean, I think if you name a kid Griffin, people are probably going to go Griff. It's cute. I'm into it. This is hard. You're like giving a person an identity, and I've always, I've said it once, and I'll say it before. It's it's just stressful naming a person, right? So the other big um, question mark is the last name, because as you know, I gave Koa right. my last name because after becoming pregnant, uh, I started to sort of. I think we should all re-examine the patriarchy uh, at any time, but especially uh, during times <laughs> of morning sickness and the like um, and giving birth. I was like, this is so weird that it was ever patrilineal. It should definitely be matrilineal. It's insane that the whole thing is like us. And then we're like, here, have your dad's name. Oh, It just blows my mind. So Matt was always really cool with it and we did Posner for Koa um, mm -hmm. 
And now that we're having a second one, there's a part of me that thinks, should I let Matt's name creep in? Or is that mm. just double confusing where now it's not about, um, okay, here's two, here's, should I let Matt's name creep in? Because basically I would be doing it as like a nod to his father mm-hmm. who right. cares. Matt doesn't. Right. Or should I be consistent because then I my kids will have the same last name and also I have a little bit of anxiety surrounding the idea that do I feel like I have to apologize for having stepped out of the bounds and the rules and giving Koa my last name and is that why I'm even considering giving this other child a different last name to be like, sorry, it's I rocked so the hard. boat so much with that. <laughs> name thing here here it's so fucking hard i find that to be the most challenging part of it you can't take out the fear or i think the patriarchal shit is so deeply ingrained in us that it's hard to separate it truly even though with our best efforts i'm not saying give up on it i'm saying that like it's entwined in everything we do i you know and so Oh, that's so challenging. I'm offering no advice. I'm just commiserating with you because I understand. I think that Matt and I have to discuss it further and I should explain to him some of my worries about giving this child a different last name, which part of it is just um, that I worry I would be doing that because, like I said, because I feel like I did a thing that I wasn't entitled to before or that was breaking the rules. And then I'm like, ooh, then I really don't want to do that. That's not who I want to be. And that completely sort of nullifies any uh, coolness of having done it to begin with. Not that I'm doing it to be cool, although it is cool. I do feel cool about it. Um, But I also just feel like you got to always question that shit. And it was pretty easy for me to question it when I was Squeezing the old baby out. <laughs> yeah, that's that's tough. I've told Koa he's having um a brother like 16 times. And just to see if it sticks, I was like, so Koa, am I having a boy baby or a girl baby? And he said, a ghost baby. Listen, he's a creepy he's a kid who loves who loves scares. I mean, the question is, is are you going to see, are you going to watch a lot of comedy when you're pregnant with this baby number two? So you can really see like if the horror that you watched when you're pregnant with Koa made him love scary things. And if, you know, the other kid won't tolerate scary things. It's too late to start that experiment. I watched The Lodge last night and The Invisible (laughs) Man the night before. Which one did you like better? The Invisible Man is so good. The Lodge is... A fun ride that ultimately is disappointing. Gotcha. You know what I just watched that I had to unpack in therapy? Like I genuinely, I watched it and I've not been able to stop thinking about it. And it's kind of thrown me into a bit of a tailspin. Hmm. Is the TV show Normal People? (laughs) Haven't seen it. Have you heard of it? Yeah. It's just like two hot young Irish people falling in love and just it was like PTSD. If you've ever been in love and have gone through a breakup and have been hurt or have just been sad, it's I can't even talk about it. It really makes me feel a lot of things that I can't control. It's also very, very sexy. So like it's it basically simulates what it's like to fall in love with someone and you're like, this isn't healthy. But I watched all of it in a day so that I could just like get it over with and be done with it and like experience the pain and everything. But holy shit. <laughs> it was scary, honestly. That's my truly darkly creepy <laughs> experiment for the week is watch a movie that just wrecks you fucking emotionally. That's normal people. And that's Carrie Ipema, everyone. And that's me, folks. That's me, y'all. And this is truly darkly creepy. <laughs> that's Quinlan Posner. It's true. Um, it's actually your turn to go first this week. I know. And I'm actually, I got to tell you, I'm really excited. <gasps> oh, good. <laughs> about my story. Because I, 
again, you're like, I think I'm going to do this story. I Okay, I was actually going to do a story, but there was no information I could find. I didn't really try hard. But apparently, it's just an anecdote that I will kind of show that tell you. Apparently, there's a Bolivian orchestra that is quarantining in a German palace that is surrounded by a pack of wolves, and they think Frederick the Great is haunting them. Oh, my God. <laughs> Enough said, apparently. And I kept looking and I was getting the same quotes from the orchestra. And I was like, give us examples. Tell us why Frederick the Great is haunting you. Like, what is going on? I f- picture it like Beauty and the Beast style, you know, when she goes into out of her provincial town into the castle. You can't mm-hmm. see me, dear readers, but I'm walking like I'm acting as Belle. And all of a sudden the horse, the, the, the wolves show up and then the beast, you know, captures her. And, and then Lumiere shows up. And Cogsworth. And Cogsworth and Babette, the Feather Duster, and Mrs. Potts and Chip. And that is the setting for what normal people is. I think that's important (laughs) to know that it's just a Disney movie with a lot of fucking. Okay. And talking teapots. And talking teapots. But that's normal. Chip was my favorite. God, that little Chip, how cute was he? One of the reasons I had children. True. Always wanted one to turn out like a little broken teacup. Did we think, though, that Mrs. Potts felt more like a grandma than a mother? Yeah, but that's because it's What's-Her-Name's voice from Murder, it's She It's Angela Lansbury. Yes, she's... How, do you, how dare you say What's-Her-Face? Her name is fucking... I think it's Dame. <laughs> is she Angela a Dame? Angela Lansbury? I wouldn't be surprised. I, I wouldn't be surprised. She played one of, you know, a truly, darkly, creepily favorite musical, Sweeney Todd. I say that because it's about murder, so I assume that probably would be our thematic musical she played mrs love it um anyway <laughs> all that being said um i got this information from scare street and medium great great okay so this all takes place in circleville ohio circleville ohio is a very small town and you know how small towns are they're like everybody knows everybody's business it's a provincial town. It's the reason Belle got out of there, you know? So it's 1976, and all of a sudden, the residents of this small town start receiving letters. Dun, dun, dun! They don't you know, all you have don't know. pen pals, I bet, but they do start receiving letters. They start receiving letters, and they're like, great, hard copy mail. Well, they didn't have email in 76, but I think everybody likes mail that's not bills. They receive these letters, and there's no return address, but they're all postmarked from Columbus, Ohio. And within the letters, there were threatening and sexually explicit notes to the residents. They always had personal details, and the writers claimed to be watching them. What? Imagine. I can't wait to send you. We're going to be pen pals. We're going to be Sorkaville letter pen pals. And we're just going to send it to dear readers from just postmarked that says we're watching you with a person. If you become a Patreon subscriber, we'll do that. Um, we'll send you threatening sexual we'll letters. Send you threatening sexually explicit letters. Okay. That's going to be a $10. Come on. That's good. Listen, that's a $10 Patreon. That's a $10 Patreon. <laughs> So Mary Gillespie is this woman who is a bus driver. She works within a school district. And in 1977, she received a letter. Her letter said, stay away from Massey. Don't lie when questioned about knowing him. I know where you live. I've been observing your house and I know you have children. This is no joke. Please take it serious. Everyone concerned has been notified and everything will be over soon. What? So who's Massey? Yeah. Massey is George Massey. He's the superintendent of the school district that she works for. And this letter is telling her you're having an affair. Fucking stop. Okay. So her husband, Ron, obviously she's not like, hey, Ron, check out this letter I got. I think there would be a lot of questions. So she hides the letter from Ron. She's like, I'm not going to tell him. I'm going to ignore it. Then her husband, Ron, gets a letter. Same postmark, Columbus, Ohio, no return address. It warned him if he didn't stop the affair, he would die. Is she having an affair? Or you don't want to tell me yet? Okay, don't tell I don't me. Wanna, well, I'll, I'll tell you. Later, she reveals that they did have a fling, but she claims it was after she received the letters. Hold on. Whoa. So her husband gets this letter. It's like, if you don't stop this affair, you will die. Okay. So they, this is when they start 
communicating about it. And they both agree that they're going to ignore it because they don't want the whole town to find out because then it will be the hot gossip. And they're like, just ignore it. And then they got another letter. And the letter, it was, I saw mixed pieces, but I'm going to put it together as best as I can. It said, Defender, you are also a pig. Gillespie, you have had two weeks and done nothing. Admit the truth and inform the school board. If not, I will broadcast it on CBS posters, signs, and billboards until the truth comes out. What? So this person works for CBS. I, I mean, what a plug for CBS. I'm like, why do you have access to doing that? Okay, so they decided at this point to confide in their friends and family about what was going on with them. So they confided in um, Ron's sister, her husband, this guy Paul, and Paul's sister. So they brought all these people together. And then they decided together they thought it was maybe a coworker of Mary's, a fellow bus driver who made advances on her and she um, rejected him. So they thought it was a scorned lover type vibe. So then they decided that Paul the brother-in-law would write to Mary's coworker and tell him they knew it was him and he needed to stop. So a couple weeks later, no letters. Then there were signs that appeared on the neighborhood claiming that Massey and Gillespie's 12-year-old daughter were having a sexual affair. And I don't even want to say affair because she's 12 and so it was like a sexual relationship, but it's not really a relationship, but they were having sex. Okay. So the family was super duper scared, so this is rightfully the woman, so. Th- sorry. This is the woman that was accused of having the affair. This is her daughter? This is her 12-year-old daughter. Okay. So, so this is revenge. Ron, this is revenge. So they said, stop the letters. A couple weeks pass. And then all of a sudden, these signs start appearing that Massey is sleeping, is having sex with her 12-year-old da- daughter. Daughter. <laughs> daughter. Said with her 12-year-old daughter. They were obviously freaked. So Ron, Ron Gillespie, Mary's husband. So it's Mary, Ron, and their daughter. Ron would get up in the morning and remove all the signs. Especially, he would just drive around town removing these signs so that his daughter didn't have to see it on her walk to school. Now, they were trying to figure out who the fuck this was. So they gathered a bunch of their friends again. And the suspicion somehow landed that it was ron's sister ron's brother-in-law so his sister's husband this guy paul fresh hour he's the one that wrote the letter if you remember got it to gotcha so but there was nothing concrete that connected him but the letters stopped again now people started finding out about the affair it's a very small town ron got a telephone call at home and they don't know what exactly was said. Another article said that they think it was someone saying, I know where you live. I know what truck you drive. And apparently Ron recognized the voice, although he there's no, you know, I don't see that corroborated anywhere else. But what he did is he got fucking pissed. He got his gun. He kissed his daughter And he ran out of the house and drove off in his truck. Not a couple minutes passed and he crashed his truck into a tree and he died immediately. What? Mm -hmm. He was so upset he just drove crazy? Well, this is where the mystery comes in, right? So when the police found him, they found he had his gun on him and... There was one shot discharged from the gun. (gasps) But they don't know whether it was outside the car. They couldn't find the bullet. They don't know what happened. They were going to investigate it as foul play. However, his blood alcohol level was 0.16, which is two times the legal limit. So they considered it a drunk driving accident. Now, his family says it's murder because he didn't drink. He wasn't a heavy drinker. But that's all the information that we have. His gun was discharged. He got in an accident. His blood alcohol level was Mm 0.16. And so there's not much they can do except say this was, his car was wrapped around a tree. You know, that's listed as a drunk driving accident. He was 35 years old. Ugh. Crazy, right? Okay. So then 
the letters continued and the letters continued so much that they were sent to the sheriff of Circleville, Ohio, claiming that he was trying to cover up stuff. Right. And so this is at the time that after Ron died, Mary admitted to having the affair, but it started with the superintendent, George Massey, but it started after the letters were sent, which I don't know about you. I feel like that's just bullshit who gets a letter and is like good idea with george massey this is wait what a great idea let's do it she got the Um, letter she started having dreams about george massey that way and then she's like i just i never saw him like that and then she was into it i didn't know i mean (laughs) wouldn't you be (laughs) if your life is there i'm again Watch normal people. You'll get it. Um, so <laughs> she's still driving the bus. Letters are continuing to be sent to Mary and her daughter. And then while she's driving her bus, posters again start going up on her bus route mm-hmm. about the affair and just awful shit. On February 7th, 1983, this is – he died in 77. So this is six years. It's five and a half. Did you appreciate that math, folks? Five and a half years after (laughs) Ron died. This is a podcast about math. Five and a half years after Ron died, she's driving along her bus route. And she's fucking, she's like, I'm done. I'm over it. She sees a sign. She stops the bus. She gets out of the bus. She goes to pull the sign down. And she notices something. And she looks and there was a box with a string attached to a sign. And when she opened the box, there was a gun pointed right at her. And it had been booby trapped, connected to the sign. So if you pulled it off, it could have gone off in her and it would have obviously killed her. Oh my God. Are you kidding me? And she just happened to not pull it in a certain way that would have activated the trigger. She did the booby that trap pulled the wrong. Trigger. She did the booby trap wrong, which if you're going to do a booby trap, please know there's, it's a, there's, it's error prone. It's not like, you know, the fact that Kevin McAllister went through Home Alone and there were no errors in the Rube Goldberg, you know. No snafus. No snafus. It, really. I hope he's wherever he is because he's probably... In fictional world, he's probably around our age. I would say he's probably an engineer. <laughs> 100%. You know? Okay, so they investigate this gun. When they traced the weapon, they found it belonged to Paul Freshour, her husband's brother-in-law. The guy so, they thought did it all along. The guy they thought they did it all along. Now, he was arrested. He claimed his gun had been stolen. Likely. I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. Lock it up. What the fuck are you doing with the gun just lying around? I call bullshit. I mean, yes, they took a he took a handwriting test, but at the same time, I read that it wasn't conclusive because the sheriff was like, "Here, copy this." No, <laughs> he gave him like it. Just that oh. I don't know if that's how you do a handwriting test. Nope, I don't, I don't think that's right. <laughs> and the, if you look at the letters, they're like weird, lo- elongated, and they're not the most they're not grammatically the most accurate. So he was arrested. He was charged with attempted murder, um, but he was not charged for stalking or anything related to writing the letters. However, the letters were used as evidence in his trial. He did have a solid alibi for most of the day that the gun situation took place, but he never took the stand. So he never was able to fully defend himself, which I think he really regrets later on. But he was convicted for attempted murder, and he was sentenced to serve between 7 and 25 years. Now, while he's in prison, the letters don't stop. Hmm. Accomplice? While he's in prison, possibly, but while he's in prison... He, all these letters start coming up. People had this, obviously, sense of security. The guy that did it was put away. But the letters don't stop. The letters are continuing to be sent. And so the warden of the prison is like, you know what, Paul? We think you're sending it. Although it was still postmarked from Columbus, Ohio, and he was serving his sentence in Lima. So it obviously, if it wasn't him, he might have had an accomplice or it might not have been him. In fact, Paul himself even received a letter. And he was in, so the warden was like, there's no possible way. And they put Paul in solitary confinement, but the letters don't stop. The letters keep coming. 
All right. So Paul receives a letter in prison and it says, Fresh hour. Now when are you going to believe you aren't going to get out of there? I told you two years ago when we set him up. Don't you listen at all? No one wants you out. No one. The joke is on you. Ha ha. Tell no one of this letter. I saw the paper. Great news. Great. The sheriff loved it. Ha ha. Do you believe it now? Do you? What? Okay. God, it's like that letter is so suspect to me. It makes me feel like Paul is behind it. No, it makes me feel because it's so it feels so designed to exonerate him that it is like too good to be true. Like if you if you were the person still on the loose and the wrong guy went to jail for what you did. I don't understand why you'd mail evidence to the jail that proves anything to the contrary. Well, I'll get to that because the letters don't stop and the letters are going to the sheriff and they're going to everyone in the town. Now, some obviously believe this made him, this proved he was innocent, as you're well aware, and the authorities, but the authorities still believed it was him, even though, so then, okay, so the the authorities still believed it was him. He was a model prisoner in the prison Um, And seven years into his sentence, he was eligible for parole. But since people were still getting letters, he was denied. That's so weird, though. Bizarre. And the warden even said it was impossible for it to be him because the letters were marked from Columbus and not Lima, where the prison was. Or he's writing them and giving them to somebody who's postmarking them for him. I think that's a possibility. I think there might have been an accomplice. I mean, I don't they don't go into this in these articles. So he was released 10 years after he was sentenced. So he was in prison until 1994. And he was proclaiming his innocence the entire time, so much so that when he left prison, he started looking for the identity of the writer and trying to find Ron's killer. And he even has a website, apparently. Cool. (laughs) That he has facts. And I use facts in air quotes, dear readers, because I guess I think it was the Medium article that said it where they were like, one of the facts is, in my opinion, and the writer of the Medium article was like, mm, not a fact. I don't, that's not a fact. <laughs> no, 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 no. I think you've, I think you've made a mistake. Um, So the letters ended up stopping in 1994 when he left prison. Another little suspect situation. What I found was interesting was that there were letters sent to the sheriff's office that were similar to Mary Gillespie was talking about her affair, but was talking about corruption in the sheriff's office. And some of the letters they received um, from the Circleville writer had stated that there were allegations of child molestation by the county coroner, this guy, Ray Carroll, and the district attorney, the same guy who prosecuted Paul in his trial, um, that he had gotten a school teacher pregnant and then murdered her to cover it up. Jesus. So... Those feel like kind of hu- enormous those are, skeletons. Kind of, those are those are <laughs> enormous skeletons. Hu- skeletons. Those are enormous skeletons. Huge allegations. But what's crazy is in 1993, Ray Carroll, the guy who was accused of child molestation, he was charged with 12 counts and eight of them alleging the doctor of gross immorality, sex crimes, and corruption of minor, pornography, obscenity, and indecent exposure. So there was truth to it. Right. Just like the affair. And then, just like the affair. And then Roger Klein, the prosecutor, this was a little bit confusing. So I'm going to read what it said because I I had a hard time, but I'm going to read it. It says, the um, allegations of Roger Klein having an affair with a school teacher, getting her pregnant, and then killing her was according to the police allegations the allegation, uh, the allegations, and they spoke with the parents of a deceased baby that the letter writer, letter writer threatened to dig up. Though their silence was requested, the couple spoke with an Ohio TV station and and confirmed that the allegations were true. That I don't understand. Confused me. So there's parents hey, of a dead baby. This guy wrote them and said, "I'm going to dig up your baby," and then they said, "You know what? He did have an affair with the school teacher and killed her." That I that was less I didn't find much information on it, but apparently they said those allegations were true. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. 
because it just the way that it's written on this website because I felt like I had to include it because it was one of the allegations but it there's not enough evidence to fully say that that's what happened but it seems like he has a pretty good track record of accusing people of things they're doing and being correct they also said that the sheriff was covering up crimes um, in the town, and there was, I think that was later proved to be true. The sheriff became the president of the National Sheriff's Association. And part of the reason he got that position is because he had showed low crime rates in Circleville, Ohio. Mm. But basically, he just faked it so that the numbers were lower so he could advance his own career. Right. So outside of Paul, there are some theories about who it is. One of them is, remember the booby trap? When the booby trap that almost shot Mary, uh, witnesses say they found, they saw a sandy-haired suspect with a yellow El Camino near the site earlier that day. And it's a small town and nobody recognized him. And apparently when they like rode past him, he just pretended to be peeing, which, what a good alibi. Mm. They think it could have been the son of the superintendent that Mary was having an affair with, so the son of George Massey. They think it could have been a jealous co-worker who was obsessed with Mary. I didn't know if it was the guy they thought was making advance of her or it was another woman who was obsessed with her. That was unclear. But basically, the school bus system in Circleville, Ohio, is ripe with gossip. It is just... Apparently. When the letters were being sent and there was this theory that it could have been Paul... Paul was going through a really fucking messy divorce with Karen, which was um, Ron's sister. They think that Karen was trying to frame Paul for the bad, messy, messy divorce. Because when they divorced, she was cheating on him. And he got the house and the kids and she moved into a trailer behind Mary and Ron's house. So she, there was definitely motive for her to want him Again, to be put away. And then if he got put away, she supposedly kept sending the letters, making it look like he didn't do it. it that's where it falls apart for me. I'm wondering if that's it could have been her framing it. him and he's sending the letters from jail and having an accomplice. I don't know. Mm. Oh, my gosh. This is a piece of information. You know the coworker that was obsessed with Mary who because she rejected him? Yeah. Um, I mean, personally, No. But you shouldn't know him because he's a bad, bad guy. Well, in 1999, he forcibly raped an 11 year old girl and became a fugitive on the run. Gross. For the record, what the fuck is in the water in Circleville, Ohio? There are a lot of bad people in this small, small town. Yeah, that sheriff was lying about those numbers. They're bad. <laughs> like, His I town think it's just they garbage. wanted it to be like Pleasantville, leave it to Beaver style, but they were just garbage they were threatening letters um paul freshour ends up dying uh, at 70 years old in 2012 and a little crazy piece of information is that um this was on one of our favorites unsolved mysteries have you heard of it and i got this information from the unsolved uh, unsolved mysteries wikipedia page they said while they were filming this story they received a postcard Apparently from the Circleville writer. Stop. It said, forget Circleville, Ohio. Do nothing to hurt Sheriff Radcliffe. If you come to Ohio, you El Sickos will pay the Circleville writer. Whoa. Cool note. He called them cool El Sickos. Note. El Sickos. He said El Sickos. Listen, El Sickos. That's now, kind of what I want to call our listener base. You know? <laughs> Hello, Elsicos. Yeah, it's kind of sassy. <laughs> now, this has not been totally substantiated, but apparently Paul allegedly admitted to Sheriff Radcliffe that he had written between 40 and 50 of the circle of the letters. But I think like anything, I bet there are copycats. I would be surprised that he wrote the letters, and I think when he was in jail... People wanted to keep the air of mystery and shit alive, or it could have been him trying to expose his innocence, but we will never know because it is still unsolved. It's an unsolved mystery. It's an unsolved mystery. And that is the story of the Circle of the Letters. Great story. Wow. Isn't that crazy? I cannot believe about that booby trap gun. The booby trap gun, I mean, I, and his family, Ron Gillespie's family, 
think that he was killed in that truck, that it wasn't an accident. 100% he was now that I read about the, or read about, I'm a dear reader, and I read about the gun. And (laughs) you know what? Listening is reading and reading is believing. And I think that he was killed in that car too. And here on TDC, that's what we do. We want to make sure we have a final... (laughs) We want to make sure that the book is closed. You don't need to go anywhere else for this information. We're giving you the surface of every crime we We're skimming the surface of every crime we care about and not going (laughs) an inch deeper. Okay? Not an inch, not a centimeter. And that is our promise to you, dear reader. And that is our promise to you, dear readers. Thanks for listening, Quinn. Yeah, I would love to open another story. You want to open another? Well, let's open the book. Let's close that book. book. Let's open another. The book I'm going to open is the book of Susan Kuhnhausen. Don't know her? You know. You're about to. Kuhnhausen. And was this different than Jeremy coons from the surfer heist yes no relation no relation i don't know could have been derivative yeah you never know gotta ask that's for sure (laughs) you gotta ask the question (laughs) y'all imperative gotta ask um so the information i got for this book report i'm doing is from oregon live rare.us which was an article i read by mariah gill um all that's interesting and then the Probably my number one source was um, an article in Willamette Week by Beth Slavic, which is very in-depth and awesome. Thank you, Beth. By the way, when you say Willamette, do you mean Willamette? Yeah. Willamette, damn it. Willamette? Mm-hmm. I think because I assume it's in Oregon because it's Willamette Valley. Yeah. That's why I know that is because of all the wine. Oh, I'm like Willamette. just surprised um, anyone knows something that I don't, but that's great <laughs> willamette that's useful I, you learn something new every day well i figure you're gonna say willamette and so i think all of our fans in willamette oregon we're not gonna do you dirty like that <laughs> all right it's the year of 2006 what month i'm not telling great moving on um susan Kuhnhausen <laughs> is 51 years old and she's been an er nurse for the last 30 years at providence portland medical center in portland oregon and she lives in the montevilla neighborhood in southeast portland er nurses are obviously fucking heroes we knew it before we know it even more now they have to do really crazy shit for their jobs like they have to be really physically strong because you have to i think like break people's rib cages and you have to be ready for them wait (laughs) you have to break people's rib cages to get in there i don't know what nurse you have to (laughs) you have to do that break i figure you have i think a nurse has to be strong because like you generally like have to lift patients up like use all their body having like seizures i don't know i just picture you have to like be able to you have to do crazy shit all the time you have to fucking also keep a cool head when things are going absolutely berserk around you you're going to be in situations more than even one time a day sometimes that are totally out of control and you have to be mellow so i just wanted to say that because i wanted to say that is what er nurses are made of and thank god she was made of that stuff because she's gonna need it so she's married to mike kuhnhausen they have no kids and actually not even a good marriage they're definitely going through a divorce susan's deal is that she sort of like she grew up in a divorced household her parents fought a lot and they divorced when she was in second grade and then her family moved around a lot and she kind of got passed back and forth between them um so she didn't grow up with necessarily she feels she didn't grow up with a good model necessarily to emulate Mm -hmm. in 88 she settles in portland and she's not having any luck with her dating life and her friend and her mom pay for a personal ad in the paper and it says someone different single white female 33 overweight but not over life, seeks single male who wants more out of a relationship than just slender. Active healthcare professional enjoys exploring the Northwest, interested in conversation, good times with someone who's intelligent, thoughtful, and full of humor. 
must be emotionally and fiscally mature. If you are seeking a bright, funny lady who is adventurous enough to advertise, then please reply. Do you love her already? Um, I love her. I don't love it feels a little fat shamey, not fat shamey. Overweight but, but not over life. I love that. <laughs> I just don't know. I hope listen, I hope she approved the copy. That's all I'm gonna she say. Wrote I it. Hope she, she wrote it. Wait, I thought her sister they, wrote they it. They paid for the ad, but like she wrote Wait, but it. But she wrote it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, then take back everything I said. Fuck yeah, I'm in love with her. Yeah. Yes, she- Susan Kuhnberger. What's her name? <laughs> Kuhnhausen. Same thing. Yes. Kuhnhausen. Um, so Mike replies to her ad and they end up going on a date and she marks her calendar with a smiley face the first day they went out. And they actually get married just a year after meeting each other. Um, but things start sucking really quickly. Because Mike sort of presents himself to her as somebody that's into the outdoors and exploring, which is what she was into. But then after they get married, they like never do a damn thing. So he's actually. She got conned. She got conned because he's actually kind of a depressive and he has a pretty shitty outlook on life. And he. okay, she's an ER nurse. He is the head janitor for an adult video store. So, okay, he's not nice to her. He's not a good yeah, guy. Yeah, he sounds like he's, an asshole. Yeah, he's like kind of um, emotionally abusive, I guess you would say. And they're married Ugh. for 17 years and she's really sweet. She loves him, but that like after 17 years, she's like, I'm going to go. So she kicks him out of the house. Saying kicks him out of the house is maybe more aggressive than it went down. They were still talking and stuff, but he goes and moves in with his dad but they're still friendly-ish. On the night of September 6th, 2006, Susan leaves her shift at the hospital and goes by the hair salon, actually the perfect look hair salon, to get the perfect look. She wants to have her hair colored. I don't know why she didn't just use Madison Reed. Just kidding, you guys. We don't have any sponsors yet, so... <laughs> um. <laughs> Anyway, (laughs) can we bleep? Can we bleep that? (laughs) I keep doing it. Susan gets home from work and she goes through the mud room in her house and there's like a little note there from Mike. And he had been supposed to come that weekend and watch her cats. But he leaves a note that says, Sue, haven't been sleeping, had to get away, went to the beach. See you Friday or Saturday. Love me. I'm not totally clear if that's the exact wording, but I do know for a fact that he spelled love L-U-V. So that's another strike against Mike. As if, and also the fact that he's going to a beach, he said he was an outdoors guy. Then he wasn't. Pick a lane, Mike. Pick a fucking lane. Agree. So she goes through the mudroom and to the kitchen. Like There's a door between the mudroom and the kitchen and you have to use the house alarm to go in. Mm -hmm. So she has to, she's like, beep boop. Beep, beep, bop. Um, <laughs> knowing Mike, the code was probably like 6969. Zero, zero, zero. Like, I feel like that's what he'd have said it to. It just spelled boob. B O O B. B O O B. Two, five, five, two. So the curtains in her home are all closed. Um, and that kind of like occurs to her because she grabs the mail. She had grabbed the mail and she's like, oh, it's dark in here i thought that i left a curtain open so she goes back outside so she just like to it's still nice out it's still early it's still light out she's flipping through her mail and then she goes back in and when she goes back in behind a door in her peripheral vision she sees a man no no running Mm -hmm. and turns in time to be like this guy's running right at me The guy is wearing yellow rubber gloves and has in his hands a fucking claw hammer. (gasps) Uh, Yeah. So one thing. This ain't good. No, but okay. The ER nurse thing. One thing they make you do when you become an ER nurse is they make you take self-defense courses, actually. Um, Whoa. Isn't that cool? I think um, that should be required maybe you're for dealing, everyone. You're also like dealing with people on drugs sometimes and stuff. I don't know. So she is like, not today, nope. Satan. Yeah, she said, 
if I died, I wanted it to be known that I fought to live, which I think is cool. Um, Love her. Yeah, she's the best. So the first thing she does is she gets closer to him, which seems totally counterintuitive. But since he's swinging a a hammer at her and stuff, even if it's fists, the closer you get proximity-wise, the less – think about it. It's like the less impact the blows can have on your body – the closer Whoa. you are to the person. So she actually gets closer to him, which is so smart and would be a really scary thing to do in that situation and to even think of doing. So the next thing that happens is he hits her on the side of the head with the hammer. So she fucking like sees stars. She starts screaming at him, though. Who are you? What do you want? He doesn't answer. He keeps coming at her and she throws her body weight into his. He's like five inches taller than her but she weighs more than him um overweight but but not not over life life. he then says the only thing he will say during this attack which is you're strong Ugh. so i think that sits with her in a crazy way it's like a match landing on a fucking bomb it like pisses her off or maybe it like Maybe she's like, you're right, I am, motherfucker. Like, whatever it is, it's a Red Bull. It gives her wings. She's into it. (laughs) She realizes also in that same moment, oh, this guy's, like, here to kill me. She doesn't know why. She doesn't know who this guy is, for the record. But she's like, he wants me dead. She somehow gets the hammer from him. And knocks him in the face and the head a few times, but it gets out of her grasp. And he punches her in the face and her lip breaks open and it knocks her um, onto the floor. So he's actually standing over her now (gasps) with the hammer. So she somehow like grabs him and knocks him down. So he's on the ground with her. And she just immediately starts biting him, just like wherever she can. Get that DNA. She's like, get the leg, get the arms. She ends up biting all the way through his pants to his dick. Yes, she's incredible. She's a warrior. So they're on the floor wrestling. Get This is like, I really want you to wrap your head around this, what I'm about to say. They are on the floor in this struggle that I'm talking about for 15 minutes can you even imagine like how from the long first that attack is? or on the floor for 15 minutes probably from the first attack maybe on the floor i'm not totally sure but either <gasps> oh, way God. when you think about how long 15 minutes is for real like it was 2006 so in minutes that's like 8012 minutes Exactly. That conversion rate is the exact same. But for real, it's forever (gasps) to be wrestling for your life. Like when Koa asked me to chase him, I can do it anywhere from like 23 to 86 seconds before I'm fucking spent. (laughs) So I just I truly cannot imagine. (laughs) So she manages to get the hammer from him and hits him in his head, but he gets it back from her. And when he gets it back, she somehow maneuvers her body so she's on top of him. And she gets him in a chokehold. And she's again like, who sent you? And he doesn't answer. And she's just like squeezing his neck. And there's so much adrenaline pumping through her, obviously. And she's like, tell me who sent you. And in exchange, I will call a fucking ambulance for you. And he goes unconscious. She stands up. She's like wobbly as fuck, grabs the hammer off the floor, which is now covered in their blood, walks out of her fucking house and goes to her neighbor's house. So imagine she shows up at her neighbor's house covered in blood, holding a hammer and is like, hey, can I use your phone? <laughs> like, I think she tells her, like, what happened? The neighbor calls 911. And one of their first questions when they hear about what happened is, does she need an ambulance? And the neighbor says, no. She thinks the intruder does, though. She says he might be dead. So, spoiler alert, 
he's dead. <gasps> she killed this guy that attacked her. His name is Ed Hafey. He is uh, five foot nine. He's like 190 pounds. He's 59 years old. He was wearing dockers and a blue striped shirt and a tan baseball hat. And the police come and they take photos of the attack scene and his body. And then they take the body away. And during the autopsy, they find out that Ed had basically done an entire mountain of cocaine so much that it, he could have died from how much cocaine he was on, which is sort of further kudos. It was funny. Like, some people are like, oh, that's why he lost the fight. And I'm like, no. No. that's I think like, we call was, cocaine an upper, y'all. You like, don't want to fight not... someone on cocaine. <laughs> no. Like, Susan didn't do any cocaine before that fight, and she still lasted 15 minutes, and she came In out fact, of it victorious, so she's a rock didn't star. Didn't Susan come back from a long day work? At a hospital. And like, after Jesus getting her hair did, he also to go get your hair all done and colored and now it's caked in blood and ugh. And you're not supposed to wash it, but she's for sure going to have to. Ed ruined her day and her perfect look. Ed grew up in an upper middle class home and he was like mm. a tennis player. So feels a little incongruous with where he ended up, but he now lives in a trailer park and is addicted to drugs. So... There's Ed for you. They discover looking into his past that 15 years ago, he played a part in, was party to the murder of his girlfriend, Georgia Lee Dutton. And he had served his time already and gotten out. And he got a job working as a janitor in an adult video store. So right now you should be saying, wait a minute, that sounds familiar. Oh, no. Wasn't that Mike's job? To which I will reply, no. Mike was head janitor at the adult video store. Pay attention, Carrie. It was Mike that hired Ed. Ugh. So Susan needs to go back to her place to get some of her shit. And her friend Helen goes with her. And her friend Helen's like, hey, is that backpack over there yours or is it Mike's? And she's like, I don't recognize that backpack. So they give the backpack to the police who didn't. You know, the police didn't know it wasn't – to be fair to the police, they went into yeah. a house. They didn't know what was already yeah. in the house. So they didn't know right. that it was Ed's backpack, but it is Ed's backpack. And he has a pay stub with his name inside it. He has some cash. He has um, Hershey's syrup, which is a pretty <laughs> – yolo snack to carry around um just like squeezing just having a squirt of hershey's syrup i guess so that's his mixed snack. with coke well, that is i mean a delicacy right and <laughs> going right along with that duo i'll give you the trio which is of course diabetes pills which you need <laughs> if that's your snack of choice if your snack of choice is cocaine mixed with hershey's syrup you should get yourself some diabetes pills. Well, that's a chaser. That diabetes <laughs> pill is just a quick chaser. You do a little bump of coke, a little squirt yeah, of the Hershey's and that's a cocktail, isn't it? And you, <laughs> you do like, a, it's like a little, you know, everybody's got their yeah. thing that makes them calm at the end of the day. <laughs> everybody's got their vice, Gwen. Um, so also there's a day planner in the backpack and an envelope that has Mike's cell phone number written on it. And in the day planner, there's a note that says, call Mike. So they're like, I think this guy knows Mike. Um, so now, guess who they'd like to have a chit-chat with? I feel like Mike might be numero uno. Well, number two on their suspect list. The first suspect, D-E-A-D, dead. But number two, Mike. Yeah. So tracking his movements on that day, they realized that he did go to the coast. Like he said, he checked into a hotel, but then he didn't sleep there. He just beat it and went back to Portland, bought a gun and left a really shitty suicide note for his dad to find that said, all I ever wanted was to be loved. And every time I had it, I fucked it up. To which I would say, Mike, you are a total shithead. Well, also, Mike, you did fuck it up. But the good thing is, is the hitman also fucked it up and didn't kill her. Right. And Mike doesn't know that, but lacking the courage to pretty much do 
anything. He does not actually kill himself, but then drives to a hospital and is planning, he says, to check himself in. And he's arrested in the parking lot of the hospital. The Say it again. Willamette. 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 The Willamette (laughs) article by Beth Slavic even published the conversation that took place between Mike and the cops. And the cops are like arresting him. And he says, you're not going to believe my side of the story. And they say, why is that? We haven't heard your side of the story. And he said, my side of the story is so fucking off the wall. (laughs) I'm like. Mike, come Mike, on. His story. Stop with the superlatives. Come on. Your your ex-wife just had someone try to fucking kill her. I feel like hers is way more off the wall. And like, Mike, your story is you went to the beach, which you sort of didn't do. So your story is neither here nor there. Um, so the police discover that even though Mike had been removed from Susan's life insurance policy because she's smart, he would have stood to gain the house. If she died and he lost his job, I guess, recently at the adult video store and he's living at home with dad. And so there's a good reason for him to want to have that house. There was also no signs of forced entry in the home. And remember, there's an alarm system. Oh, yeah. So Mike knew the fucking passcode. Oh, and beyond tragically. Ugh. Guess what it was? It was their anniversary. It was the passcode, which is so well, like, like. Also, gross. if you're gonna fucking hire a hitman, like, why did you do one that so easily traces back to you? He didn't know what he was doing. He did not know what he was doing. So, like, a witness comes forward to say that Ed, the hitman, had come to him and said, "I'll give you five thousand dollars to help me do a hit on some guy's wife," and the guy's like, "No." Because hard pass, hard pass. pass. And another witness is like, I saw Ed and Mike have lunch together at Applebee's. And, you know, that's what seals the deal. Nobody goes to lunch at Applebee's Applebee's. unless it's to talk murder for hire. You know, Quinn, when you're right, you're right. But also that witness, we know that's what they talked about because that witness that saw them have lunch Saw them have lunch because he was the person that drove Ed to the lunch. And Ed told him. Ed was like, oh, I'm meeting with this guy that's offering me uh, $50,000 to kill his wife. <laughs> he's like, he's like, I got a great job interview. I'm, you know, I, I, I'm doing the janitor thing on this side. But I just, you know, I just got an offer from a friend who kind of wants to hire me as an independent contractor. It's kind of nice. It's Monday under the table. Yeah. All I got to do is kill his wife. You can buy know, so much cocaine and Hershey syrup can buy for $50,000. So much $50, cocaine and Hershey's and maybe even a full, a full Hershey bar. I don't know. I don't know. Things might get crazy. The sky's I don't the know. limit. So Sky is Mike limit. does plead guilty and he goes to jail, but his sentence is 10 years. Susan is getting nervous and she she wins a lawsuit against him for emotional distress that awards her a million dollars. The impetus for her to have even filed the suit was essentially she wants him too broke to hire another hitman when he comes out. She's basically like, I don't want him to have enough money to kill me. So I need to take his money from him because I don't know if he has money hiding. Like, clearly, I don't know this person. He could have money hiding places. She gets Mm. a gun. She goes to practice shooting. She fucking lines her own driveway with gravel so that she can hear people approaching the house. She is she's having to pull Kevin McAllister shit from Home Alone. She's having to like, damn. Home alone, her house. Ugh. But then Friday the 13th rolls around and the will of Jason Voorhees is done because Ed dies of cancer three months before he's going to be released. <sighs> but the, the still the emotional stress of it, I'm sure, is not. Like, I'm sure she, even though that fucker's dead, like, how can you recover from someone attacking you in your home? She's so amazing. Do you want to hear... Um, I'll end on this quote, actually, a Susan quote, since we love Susan. Please do. WWSD, what would Susan do, is my new thing. Mm -hmm. She says, if you can't run and you can't hide, you have to fight. You don't know that you won't survive. Against all odds, she fucking survived. 
She's gonna wow. make it. She's a survivor. That is what a great story. Right. I really liked both of these stories. I know it's our best episode yet. I don't know yet, but yeah, maybe. It's certainly better than the past couple ones. We've been trash. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm kidding. I've been trash. It's me. I've been trash. If you're a new listener and you're just tuning in, this is your first episode, it doesn't get any better than this. <laughs> <laughs> Where the bar has been set and we will only come under it. Okay? Do you understand? Do you understand? And also, for the record, we didn't come here to make friends. We came here to win. And make a podcast. So <laughs> relax, guys, gals, folks. Take a deep breath. Relax. Is that all, folks? Yeah, maybe that's all. Maybe that. Maybe we did a, a tight hour-long episode this time, which would be super oh my gosh, impressive. That was, that was... <laughs> We've been doing like two-hour episodes because we're so starved for seeing for human interaction that when we get together on Facetime, we just want to gab our balls. Want to gab, gab, gab. Oh, my God. We gabbed our balls off so hard. I'm going to go check this pie. I'm a little worried about it. Let me know how I'm it turns out. I will. I'll send you a picture. And you know what? If you guys watch Normal People, feel free to get in touch. Um, I'm happy to talk to you about it because um, I know you're going to need some help. God, you're obsessed. That. I'm glad you're talking I'm about obsessed. it in therapy. <laughs> I did. I spent the whole therapy. I was like, I need to talk about Normal People. She's like, I haven't seen it. And I'm like, how do I tell you it was arousing and PTSD (laughs) (laughs) all at the same time literally all is one all right dear readers all right folks we we uh do the do do the list you know donate like subscribe (laughs) enjoy your life be safe uh make new friends but keep the old um wear a mask wash your hands goodbye 